You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, as you can tell this morning, uh, with some of the song selections, it's kind of trended real serious and kind of mellow, I guess I would say. Uh, And it's on behalf of, of this week's message in the series, Unfair, What Do You Do in Fair Leaves Town? I want to begin with a quote that a lot of you know. Um, But every time I read this quote, it nails me. Um, C.S. Lewis makes a statement. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. You think about each of those statements, like whispers in our pleasures. For me, like, Lord willing, this week, Jenny and I and a couple friends are going to get away and go to the beach. And uh, there's going to be a lot of good times. Uh, Like, in those good times, there is a tendency for me to forget God speaks. I get so distracted by the good things that I forget the giver of all good things. That's why he says he whispers in our pleasures. Then he speaks in our, our conscience, meaning like a moment like this, God's engaging your conscience. When you read the Bible in the morning or at night or in the middle of the day and you listen to a worship song, your conscience is engaged. And if you listen closely, you hear him. But he shouts in our pain. It's like when pain hits, he has our undivided attention. It is his megaphone to arouse a, a deaf world. I have a, a, a dear friend who is really one of my spiritual heroes that is close to passing away. Yesterday was probably the last day I spent with him. Um, it, during the series uh, last year, like when we would pull up pictures of creation, my buddy Danny, the one I'm talking about, those are all his f- photographs and I've encouraged you to look at his Instagram account, and he's been battling cancer. The family's been right by his side. And on behalf of the family, like, like yesterday as I held Danny's hand, um, I didn't know it was going to be yesterday. I had no idea that this message would resonate with me and them. Um, they're grieving. They're close to a loss. question today is, what do you do with loss? And how do you navigate grief? Um, The beautiful thing about the Bible is it does not gloss over grief. It doesn't sugarcoat suffering. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it is a book of tears. (laughs) Listen to some of David's statements. Psalm 31, verse 9. These are song lyrics. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and my soul and body with grief. Like, Like everything for David is impacted and shaped by grief. Psalm 6, verse 6, he says, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I fled my bed with weeping and drenched my couch with tears. Like, the guy's a mess. He's come undone. He's consumed with grief. To start the series, we started to look at a a type of psalm, the psalms of lament. Laments are those psalms, like of 150 psalms. So many are psalms of lament where uh, the author, the writer of the song, in many cases, David, is saying, look, this is not okay. What I'm going through makes zero sense. And, and what he does is he expresses his feelings and then he vocalizes it with, with the pen and even writes music behind it. And he tells God, I'm still going to choose to trust. Because the reality is on behalf of grief, to live life is to experience loss. I mean, no one gets a pass. No one's exempt. 
to live is to lose. And on behalf of all of us in this room, uh, there's different types of loss. There's the loss of a loved one. There's a loss affiliated with a crisis, like an emergency. Something happened and something was taken. There's the loss of a miscarriage, loss of a job. And with the loss of a job, there comes loss of income and loss of friends that are affiliated with that job. There's loss of a child. Not supposed to go that way. Child's supposed to bury the parent, not the other way around. Loss affiliated with an injury or college athlete. The loss of affection from someone that you love. The loss of all sense of normalcy. A change took place in my life will never be normal again. The questions remain, what do you do with that loss and, and how do we navigate that type of grief? On behalf of the Bible, there is no specific section of Scripture. Like, like right here, we go to this, where the Bible says, all right, this is what grief is, and this is how you handle it, and this is how you get rid of it. Grief is way too complex. It's too complicated to shake it so quick. But thankfully, the Bible does not leave us absent of guidance on how do we navigate it. And so today, what I want to do is just... Um, the best I can, I, I just want to give you some grips on grief. Like, it's not grips to get rid of it, because sometimes it's really a good place to be. But these are handles or principles that when grief shows up, like, like right now, some of you affiliated with loss of something, it doesn't have to be someone, any type of loss, there, there is grief that comes with it, and there's no quick fix, but there are some handles that you can hold on to. And I want to go over the first three, and then we're going to take a break in the middle of the message, and then I'll highlight number four. But things to remember right now in the middle of your grief or around the corner when you experience loss. Number one, grief needs to be expressed. There's a tendency for all of us to kind of man up, guys especially, to man up and to bottle it up. But when you experience it, you need to express it. I mean, you go back to Psalm chapter 6, listen and feel what David is experiencing, Psalm 6, verse 2, he says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, Lord, my bones are in agony. He, something has him so grieved that, that, he, that he hurts. Verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. You ever ask these words? Like, how long, Lord? How, how much longer? Verse 6, I am worn out from my groaning. In the Hebrew, that's an inarticulate moan. You can't even put words to it. He's exhausted. His energy is gone. He's tired, but he can't sleep. Verse 6, all night long I fled my bed with weeping because I can't sleep. I drenched my couch with tears. Yes, it's a hyperbole, meaning exaggeration for the point of emphasis. We would say, like, I've cried my eyes out. Here's a guy that's come undone, but guess what? David isn't keeping his grief bottled up. Grief needs to be expressed. David lets it out. He says, here's what I feel. I'm going to say it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to put song lyrics behind it. And God, this is how I feel. And since I'm writing it and I'm saying it, I'm going to choose to trust you. One of the best ways that you and I can start the day, obviously, is with God. But some of you ought to put into practice this little spiritual discipline. In the morning, you begin the day by saying, all right, today I'm feeling. And you write down the list. Mad, glad, sad, excited, afraid, ashamed. And you force yourself to circle one. 
And then you address the issue, do I know why? What this causes you to do is to express the, the emotion that you're currently experiencing. And you do so at the beginning of the day. And if you're not careful and you don't do it at the beginning of the day, the problem is you carry it with you throughout the day and you inflict it on everyone else around you. Two Mondays ago, I was going through some grief affiliated with a type of loss. I came undone. And usually when I get that way, um, I don't know what you do. I typically go on a long drive and spend lots of gas money. Um, called Jen. Uh, and I said, uh, kind of, she knew what was going on. And I was telling her, more, and I, was like, I feel like I could cry. And her statement was, then cry then. Because those tears would be an expression of grief. But as a guy, like, you want to keep it together. Uh, on behalf of expressions of grief, some of you are going through a divorce. It's okay to say, I'm at a loss. Some of you that have faced a loved one or you that's going through a diagnosis, all normalcy is gone. That's an expression of grief. Rejection, I, I don't even have words. That is an expression of grief. Change. What in the world will we do? That's expressing grief. Loss. I've done weddings. Just weren't right. Because you'd look out in the crowd and behind the bride or the groom, like there would be those seats. Supposed to be for the mom and the dad. And the mom would be there. But there was an empty seat for the dad. The words, I miss my daddy. That is an expression of grief. Understand that, that too often we, we, we try to go past it or go through it, but, but there is a season for experiencing grief, but a, an experience definitely for expressing it. I, I want us to think for a second on behalf of our kids, because I've screwed up here on some things. Um, if you're a, a child that's experiencing grief and they express it to you, like let's say it's on the issue of loss affiliated with friends. Like a friend... Um, goes to a different city, or a friend goes to a different school, or heaven forbid, a friend picks another friend group. And the child's vocalizing the loss. As a parent, some of us have a habit of saying, hey, don't worry, you'll make more friends. But in that moment, perhaps the statement that we're making is putting a damper on their grief that they're trying to express. I mean, let's think about it. Since loss matters to us, loss matters to them. And in their expression of grief, as we listen, we acknowledge when people move into our life and then out of our life, it leaves a mark. We know it. And so when they vocalize it, we need to listen to their grief and empathize with their grief, even as a child. And if you think about it, perhaps the grief expressed by a child is more mature than us saying, hey, don't worry about it. You'll make more friends. Because in a sense, we're trying to suppress the grief that the child is trying to express. And on behalf of grief getting expressed in some form or fashion, what if we handle large loss well because we learn to express small losses well? I think all of us in this room can in some form or fashion struggle with this. No matter if it's to a child or through you, when we go through loss, there's a tendency to just stifle it. But David lets us know, you got to express it. And that's what David does in Psalm 6. Now, we do have an alternative. The alternative is numb it so you don't have to feel it. 
It doesn't matter if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, it doesn't matter if it's just working more and going somewhere. We numb ourselves to the pain so we don't have to feel the pain. But I've got a caution. It's impossible to select which emotion you're numbing. We don't have that luxury. I mean, if you consider it, our brain and our heart don't have the ability to numb one emotion, grief, affiliated with loss, at the expense of the others. So at the same time that I'm trying to numb my grief, guess what? I'm also numbing myself to joy and to happiness and to laughter. So numbing it, it doesn't work. David's letting us know you have to get to the point of expressing it because the heart is capable of experiencing more emotions than one at once. But if we numb it instead of expressing it, you might not feel the pain, but you will be numb to joy too. So handle number one, grief needs to be expressed. Ready? Here's number two. If you think about it, grief tends to be selfish. Like when you're going through it, it makes you and I think that grief is the only emotion that we can experience in that moment. Back to Psalm 6. I want you to notice how David says it's not the only emotion. David does a pivot from where he's saying, I'm groaning, I'm grieving, my tears. Verse number 8. The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord's heard my cry for meeting, for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. In other words, God sees my tears and God hears my prayers. Now pay close attention when you read this. David's song does not move from sad to happy. It moves from sad to hopeful. In other words, David's plate may be full of grief, but he's placed a large order of a side of trust. He's like, look, even though this is terrible, God, you know what? It's like last week. God, this didn't catch you by surprise. And I'm going to choose to trust you. Like David understands that this emotion called grief tends to be so selfish. But as I said earlier, our heart can experience multiple and even contradictory emotions at the same time. But grief only wants you to experience grief. Grief only wants you to experience the emotions affiliated with grief. Types of grief like disappointment, discouragement, and despair. Grief wants you to hang out there. Think about the progression of those. Disappointment is tied to expectations. Everybody faces disappointment. I mean, life's full of them. You expect this to happen. You expect that to happen. When expectations don't come true, we experience disappointment. Like we were hoping to get a job. We didn't get it. We were hoping to go on a vacation, and it fell through at the last minute. You were hoping someone else would be interested in you, but they're not. That's called disappointment. Disappointment comes and goes. But what happens when disappointment comes and stays? That's called discouragement. Discouragement kind of moves in for all of us. It makes a bed, builds camp. And we find ourselves kind of day after day experiencing sadness, grief, tied to some type of loss. And you're thinking, well, if that's discouragement, what is despair? Despair comes when you are no longer capable of envisioning a future with hope. And some are there. And some have been there for a long time. By all means, in this room, understand, do whatever it takes not to get stuck there. Despair is a place that will destroy you. And grief wants you to know that grief is the only emotion you can experience. But it's selfish like that. There's another spiritual discipline that I want to encourage you to do. 
to remind you there's more emotions other than grief when you're experiencing grief, set a timer. I've done this. Set it for 20 minutes. And in those 20 minutes, hit start and then just start spewing, start spilling, start writing everything you want affiliated with the grief, affiliated with what you're currently feeling, you're experiencing, and then learn to express it. And when that alarm goes off, you put it up and you go on a long walk. You get outside. You talk to a friend. This practice, this spiritual discipline helps you to express the grief you're experiencing and it reminds you there are emotions other than grief. This is what David did in Psalm 6. I'm miserable. I can't sleep. God, how much longer till you fix this? Nevertheless, you see my tears and you hear my prayers. David's grief didn't disappear. Meaning David's situation didn't change. His perspective did. He made a pivot. David could tell us something. It's his way of letting us know that help hasn't arrived yet, but hope has. Help hasn't arrived, meaning I'm still grieving, but hope has. I choose to trust. So, so handles to help us with grief. Uh, number one, it needs to be expressed. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. Number two, it, it has the tendency of being selfish. Like he wants you to think that that's the only emotion you can experience when it's happening. Number three, ready? We all know this. Grief leans toward loneliness. You know, it's selfish, but it's also lonely. Like when it's going on, you think you're the only person that's going through this. We've all been in those situations when some type of loss has gone on. There's grief affiliated with the loss. And we're with someone that we haven't seen in a while and they ask an innocent, unassuming question that puts a spotlight on the loneliness of our grief. Questions like, will all your family be home for Christmas and they don't know you lost your brother? Are you bringing your boyfriend and they don't know you broke up? Are you dating anyone yet? By the way, that is not a good question to ask. <laughs> People carry that all the time. When do you plan to get married? Do you not think they carry that everywhere they go? How many children do you have? How many children do you plan to have? What if they can't have kids? These questions put a spotlight on the grief. And when we hear those questions asked to us, it makes us feel even more lonely. Like, do you plan to have kids? What if they can't? What if they've lost a child? Or how about this one? How's work going? And they don't know that you're no longer at the same place and you're looking for a job. Questions like this, they're, they're innocent, they're unassuming. But to put a spotlight on the loneliness that you and I feel if, when it's tied to grief. And in those questions, when they're asked, we ask ourselves a question. Okay, do I bring attention to it? Do I explain the answer? Or do I just let it pass? And the reason is, when the person asks the question... Typically, they've got the thing that they're asking about. And there's a tendency for me to think, they've got it, they're normal. All normalcy is gone for me, and it makes me feel even more lonely. Today, I want to remind you, even though grief leans toward loneliness, you are not alone. Hear me out. C.S. Lewis makes a statement that we read to remember we're not alone. When you read the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, you see the names of Jesus. 
his titles like Lord, Lamb of God, Son of God, Son of Man. How about this? Man of Sorrows. Even though grief leans toward loneliness, I'm telling you, you who are not alone. The Bible says it this way about Jesus in Isaiah 53. He was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. So even though grief leans toward loneliness, you are not alone. Uh, Let's think about it. How about Jesus When he finds out his best friend's sick and he's late getting to the scene and the sisters blame him, his best friend dies, Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible, only two words, John 11, 35, Jesus wept, man of sorrow. Or on Palm Sunday as Jesus is making his way into the city of Jerusalem around a mountaintop and as he looks down from the mountain into Jerusalem, he's so, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long for you. If only you had the affection for me that I have for you. And the Bible said he, he cries, man of sorrow, in the garden of Gethsemane, pending loss of life, pending wrath from God the Father. And Jesus looks to his friends, hey, guys, this is killing me. Can you stay up with me tonight? And as he wept, we're reminded the man of sorrow. I'm telling you, grief may lean toward loneliness, but no one in this room is alone. On behalf of everyone in here, if you think about it, we have a tendency where we want to avoid grief. Jesus not only embraced it, he walked toward it. I'm telling you, like, like he walked toward abandonment. He walked toward betrayal. He walked toward pain, toward loss. He even walked toward his, je- his death. And even though grief leans toward loneliness, you and I are not alone. Right now, I, we've selected just um, something to remind us that you're not alone. And in just a second, I'm going to come back up. It's not finished because there's one more handle. But as these lyrics are exposed, let it be a reminder, no matter how bad it is right now, No matter how lonely it feels, you're not by yourself. So that song, if you think about it, it's a reminder that grief needs to be expressed. It's a reminder to you and I that grief tends to be selfish. You know what? You just experienced multiple emotions other than grief. You threw in praise. It's a reminder that grief leans toward loneliness. But you're not alone. A man of sorrows fully acquainted with our grief. And yet, there's some in this room right now that are like, man, Tim, you don't understand. It's hit hard and it hit home and I can't shake it. I know he's a God of all peace and I know, I know Jesus is the source of all joy, but I cannot, I can't get rid of this. I want you to have the fourth handle. Grief does not get the final chapter. Last week, I know it was a weird way of saying it, but I pointed out it's, No pecans and no dressing yet. Like it's coming. Grief does not get the final chapter. Think through the Bible with me. Like like Genesis chapter one, this beauty of creation. God creates all things. It's good. It's 
good. It's very good. And everything is beautiful. But in Genesis chapter 2, what's beautiful is broken. I mean, the, things begin to fall apart. Like, like, friendships are broken. Marriages are broken. Bodies are broken. Jobs are broken. Even churches, because they're filled with humans, are broken. Because every human heart is broken. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 in the Bible lets us know that Jesus is coming to fix all things that are broken to make it all beautiful. And the rest of the Bible is shifting from creation to a new creation. When Jesus comes to make all things right, and there's this beautiful new creation, the last two chapters of the Bible. The last two chapters of the Bible give us this beautiful image of what the new creation will be like. And I can't help but think of my buddy Danny and his posts on Instagram and all these I'm telling you, like he captures nature in its finest. And when I think of the new creation, these beautiful trees and rivers and animals and all this other stuff, it's beautiful. But I've got a question. What does the new creation really look like? The last two chapters? The last two chapters of the Bible let us know. Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning, and no more crying no more pain for that old order of things has passed away the old order is gone grief doesn't get the final chapter this may be a difficult chapter an ugly chapter but God's writing a beautiful story and as John is writing this letter called Revelation uh, it continues listen to this verse 5 the next verse John says, he who was sitting on the throne said, hey, I'm making everything brand new. And then God the Father looks to John. Hey, John, do me a favor. Get a pen. Verse 5 continues. He said, hey, John, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Guess why he told John to write it down? We write things so we remember. Today I want to ask you just to remember Everyone goes through loss, and there is grief affiliated with loss. Grief needs to be expressed. Grief tends to be selfish. Don't think it's the only emotion you can experience. Grief leans toward loneliness, but you're not alone. And grief does not get the final chapter. Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to read this verse over you. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Today is a reminder that there is mercy in a moment when the burden is an ocean and a teardrop. God never wastes a tear. Father, thank you for Thank you for helping us get a grip on grief today for all those experiencing loss or where loss is around the corner. May we maintain this perspective. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.